Good morning. You may take your seats. Our scripture reading this morning, we're continuing in our series of seasons, and the scripture this morning is from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till last. When Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, church. So good to be back with you here as we continue this season series. Our um, sermon series has been really fun to preach, challenging, and, and a great opportunity that God wants to be the Lord of every season in our life. Today, I'll be giving a message called Faith in Dry Times, these first 11 verses of John 2. And I honestly think it might be one of the most important sermons you ever hear. It's like, wow, that's kind of audacious. Uh, Not because it's such an amazing sermon, not because the illustrations are phenomenal or the theology is so highly curated, but simply because this. For most of us in the room, we fall into this trap that God is blessing us when the blessings are flowing, and God is distant when we're in seasons of dryness. Today, through John 2, the Lord of the harvest wants to remind you that God can use every season to grow you as a disciple after his own heart. Let me pray, and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this word from John 2. We pray, God, that even now, that you would be changing water to wine, that you would be taking those places in us that are dry or fatigued or feeling worthless, and God, you'd be redeeming us, making us whole, that we would be overflowing with your spirit. Lord God, would you open this word to us now? We ask and we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Faith in dry times, faith in in dry times. When I think of dry times in a relationship, certainly I've had a number of dry times with the Lord. Also dry times in my earthly relationships. Certainly marriage uh, can be seasons of abundance and seasons of dry times. And anyone, when you're doing premarital work, we tell people, it's going to be hard. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it gets hard. Like, oh, is this what we thought it was going to be? Dry times. 
Some years ago, my wife and I were checking out a new then restaurant in downtown Edmonds, our hometown, called Salt and Iron. Was, we had the babysitter, we had the date set, we ordered our wine, we sat down to this wonderful date, and it had been for a long time, it had been missing a chance to just meet and, and have a date night. And there, as we were sipping our wine, like, you know, pieces of metal started to kind of fly off. It was like two trains slowly on a collision course. See, we'd been kind of on autopilot for some time. And so as we're actually sitting down, and I'm kind of an avoider of conflict, my wife is someone pursuing more intimacy in marriage, I started to hear what wasn't going well with us. And then I started to share what wasn't going well with us. And then I'm like, wow, I'm paying a babysitter to fight with my wife. I don't know if anybody's had that happen. None of you, just us. We're at the nicest restaurant in our hometown. It's going from bad pretty much to worse. But for me, that's, I'm just like trying to get through. And there's a piece of me that's a little bit image conscious, if I can be honest. Like I want to see you in, in our hometown. And I want you to think, oh, the pastor actually lives what he says. It's a challenge. So we like walk out into the street, into downtown Edmonds. And my wife said something along the lines of like, I don't know if I can live like this. And she slammed the door, and I'm like, stop yelling, you know, and oh, man, dry times. Like, I can't live like this, is essentially what she was saying. I can't live without more emotional intimacy. Like, you're doing the things, but your heart's not engaged, Scott. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to go through the motions, Man, how often do we go through the motions in our relationships with our kids or our parents and our dating relationships or our spouses? We, we have dry times, and certainly with our Lord, where we've, we've kind of gotten into a ritual and a religion of sorts, and we are missing the intimacy with Jesus. Today, the Lord wants to remind us that he can use every season for his glory. Every emotion, every responsibility, every up and every down, every season for his glory, even the hard ones. The psalmist said in Psalm 31, my times, my seasons are in your hands. And so every season, God, your hands, what a declaration. My hope is for us as a church that we know that in every season we're being prepared for fruitfulness. Certainly in celebration, let us dance and profess joy together. Let us sing. Mourning, may we lament and sit in ashes together. In every season, seasons of waiting and reducing and trial and joy. In every season, the Lord is present. And so we segue to John 2, this first miracle in this village named Cana, eight miles from Nazareth, eight miles from Jesus' hometown. And in today's teaching, we have Jesus at a party. I think it's really significant. I was raised thinking Jesus hated parties. I was raised thinking that our religion, this thing we do, it is kind of devoid of a lot of life and a lot of fun. Or you go to church or you go to a party. I never thought that worshiping God could be fun. And so Jesus is, is at this party, and there's a problem. There's no wine at the party. There's, there's dryness. There's, there's emptiness. And so what's the solution? Well, simple. Jesus takes the discarded, and he makes it precious. 
But this is more than just about wine. It's about spiritual dryness. Because in the, in the scriptures in ancient Israel, wine was a symbol of fruitfulness. Wine and the grapes they came from were an illustration of intimacy with God. And so that's why the prophet Joel wrote in, in Joel 1, wail you drinkers of wine, wail because of new wine for it's been snatched from your lips, wail because the harvest of the field is destroyed. And so in the ancient scriptures, if you're connected with God, there's wine, there's grapes. But if we're disconnected from God, if we're in dryness, there's no wine. Now, why does this matter? Why would I select this text to lead off after Easter. Man, we just celebrate a resurrection. Our wine glasses are full, right? Well, we just took an all-church survey recently, over 1,000 people from Bethany, and I learned some troubling things. I learned that this church, our church, 30% of the church would say they're growing, like more rapidly. 50% had almost stalled or maybe slow growth, but nearly 20% of our church, dryness. Nearly one in five is in a season where they're spiritually stalled and only 3% are content with their faith. This is a problem. And many will ask, how can the Lord of the harvest be our God in a time of dryness? And so hear me, church, hear me very carefully. This God, Jesus, God incarnate, wants to bring new life out of you. But in order to see growth, he'll often use seasons of dryness and fatigue and hurt and pain. And in that way, in order to be filled, we'll need to be emptied, okay? So maybe, maybe one in five of you is like, man, I'm stalled out, Scott. But this is this greater teaching why it might be one of the most important words that God ever gives you. In order to be filled, we'll need to be emptied. And so, is anyone running on empty today? Is anyone tired today, worn out, fatigued, in pain, hurting, emotionally, spiritually, dry? Well, let the God of abundance bring Christ into your empty places. And remember the tenant that dryness will be necessary for new wine. Our big idea this morning is simply this, that times of spiritual isolation can set the stage for the Spirit of God to bring new life into dry seasons, all for His glory. That's what the new wine is always for, for His glory. So let's look at here, pretty simple setup. We're going to talk about the problem and the people and ultimately the passion that comes from the crushing of the grapes. Let's first look at there's a problem. In the first four verses of John 2, I hope you brought your Bible because it's as we study the Bible that God kind of illustrates and lifts up certain words and kind of the Spirit can convict us and meet us in the words of Scripture. It's why we read Scripture, for the Spirit to kind of meet us here. On the third day, wedding took place at Canaan Galilee, three-day wedding. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples have been invited. It's only eight miles from his hometown. It's actually where Nathaniel's from, so this is kind of his hood. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, They've got no more wine. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. There's a problem with the party. There's no wine. There's, there's no fruit. There's, there's no blessing the neighbors would see. Now, in ancient Israel, they kind of operated from a mindset that, that evolved from Deuteronomy 28, that if you followed God, that God would bless you. It was a, 
A plus B equals C type deal. If you, if you obeyed the commands of scripture, then God would bless you monetarily, spiritually, physically. There'd be wine. So this was kind of the covenant that Israel was in. But if there was no wine, it meant there was no blessing. So there's a, there's a problem here. We're going to get to the problem in just a moment. Jesus says, woman... And for a lot of us moderns, we would say, oh, is he being, you know, patriarchal? Is he talking down to a woman? You know, no. It's, it's actually just how, like, it was a common saying in those days. It's how Jesus talked to the woman at the well. It's how Jesus spoke to Mary at the cross. It was, it was a word of, of intimacy, actually. He's not rebuking. He's speaking gently. Woman, don't worry. You, you don't understand what's going on. Leave things to me, and I'll settle things in my own way. Now, if we could trace a thread through this season's sermon series, the season's sermon series, it's simply this, that God's timing is mysterious. And it's easy for us, I should say it's difficult for us to trust God's timing. It's easy to kind of identify the season we want to be in, but so often we can find ourselves in another season and we're not living in the season we're in. We're, we're waiting to get into this other season. Jesus' timing within the theology of John's gospel, no human, not even his mother, can determine Jesus' hour, the saving work he'll do on the cross. God alone determines the timing. Jesus alone determines the hour. When he says, my hour hasn't yet come, it's used seven times in the book of John, always as a marker of the cross. And again, we're kind of post-resurrection. We're going back to this sermon because there's this word that God's got for our community. My hour hasn't come. Now, there's a party problem. There's, there's no wine at the party. We're going to talk about that, what that means culturally. Let me just talk briefly here because we don't talk about it very often. Let me talk, if I can, for just a moment about alcohol, about alcohol. Uh, there's different verses in the Bible about alcohol, where uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, he says, uh, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. 1 Timothy is likely one of the last books that Paul wrote, full of instruction to his young disciple and thus for the future church. So he says, hey, a little bit of, little bit of wine is fine. So, you know, oftentimes in a modern Christian mindset, it's like alcohol's fine. We had our men's gathering last week at a pub. People have wine with dinner. A little bit is, is fine. And yet the scriptures point out a bit of a tension. Look what Ephesians says. Ephesians says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, still Paul, he seems to be pointing out a choice that wine is an option, but there's a better option available. That for people that are leaning towards wine and seasons of dryness, they're missing an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. And especially for those seeking to grow in Christ. Look again at Timothy, where Paul will say this, do not be given over to wine. This was his instruction to deacons and elders and leaders. Now, do we have freedom to indulge in fermented drink, we certainly do. The scriptures are full. To, to eat your food and drink your wine with gusto. And yet, for some of us in the room, alcohol can destroy us. For some of us in the room, we have become products of alcoholic homes. For some of us in the room, we've seen alcohol, instead of a blessing here at this wine, we've seen it be destructive. How do we know? 
Because anything that starts to supplant God in our season of dryness, it should be our caution flag. Too much liberality. And this goes for alcohol and other substances where there's liberality in it. We, are, we can worship Jesus and have a glass of wine. These things are consistent, but we must watch our hearts. What are we gravitating to? Alcohol or being filled by the Spirit? You have your choice, but there is an active discernment as a person of Christ. How much alcohol, if any, will you allow on your faith journey? And be aware it has destroyed many families, even in this community. So with all of that said, that's just kind of like a bonus sermonette. So you're like, oh, wow, bonus material, fantastic. So do Christians drink? Some do, some don't. Do as much as you want to, but be wary of medicating and, and, and putting alcohol in place that Christ should be in our lives. And so this wedding has taken place, and, and there's no wine. Now, weddings in ancient Israel were, a, I mean, these were a thing, you got to remember, like, these are hard scrabble little towns carved out of dust and rock. If you've been to Israel, you know that for a lot of these towns, it's literally just bricks built out of the dust on rock. I mean, it was a hard life. But during weddings, oh, baby, the, the, like the monotony of their daily life was set aside. And weddings would last for not three or five. They last for seven days. Seven days wedding, the bride and groom would get dressed like a king and a queen, and they would take torches, and they would march around their town, and they wouldn't go straight home, which is where they would end up. They would take the most, the most circuitous, like the widest, they'd go all through the town, and everybody in the town would be, you know, it's kind of like a conga line, like on the Carnival Cruise Line commercials, like the whole town is dancing because it's a hard life, but there's a wedding, and they would come to the bride and groom's home, and for seven days days, the responsibility for the bride and groom was to host anybody and everybody that wanted to your party. So how's that for a honeymoon? Congratulations, you're now married. Now you're going to have an open house for seven days. The responsibility would be to have wine, would be to have food because it's a marker that God has blessed this new, this new wedding. And so the wedding was this huge marker and this huge kind of time of joy as a supreme occasion in someone's life. And Jesus is invited there. Like I said, Nathaniel is from Cana. I think we should live in such a way to be invited to the best parties. I think we should live in such a way as Christians and not just Christian parties, just parties. Like in your neighborhood, at your workplace, you should be living in such a way that's a blessing to other people. They should want you at, your par- at their party. You should be hosting parties, opening your home, that your, your own dining table can be a place of evangelism. There was this saying in ancient Israel where they said, there were, where there's no wine, there's no joy. And so Jesus steps into this situation, the wine is run out, and he salvages dryness for more joy. This is where our teaching begins. Because for many of us in the church, our comfort has become our Achilles heel. Where Jesus is able to salvage dryness for more joy, it's people that know brokenness that can ultimately receive more healing. See, we, we think the problem is the brokenness. 
The problem is my anger issue. The problem is my alcohol. The prob- we think the problem is the thing that we think are, that if everyone knew that I had that sin, that they wouldn't judge me. And so we, or they would judge me. They wouldn't welcome me. So we spend many times in the church, we spend much time and effort covering our brokenness up. We step out to situations like muffin time. We say, how are you? And what do we say? I'm swell, swell. Because we're scared if they see my brokenness, I won't be included in the community. You have no idea as a pastor where people say, I'm really struggling, but I don't feel like anybody in the church really gets it. See, the problem isn't the brokenness, it's ignoring the hunger for Christ. And when we tap into the brokenness, when we tap into the hunger, when we tap into the dryness in the marriage or the dryness with Jesus, when we say, I don't want to live like this anymore, that's where the healing can flow. That's where when we tap into the dryness, Jesus says, now I can transform you. You don't have to hide and cover yourself up. As theologian Paul Tillich said, the basement of your soul is much deeper than you knew. But when we know we've got a problem, we're ready for a new solution. Daniel Hill, the speaker we brought out from Chicago this fall, he wrote around Good Friday, he said, those of us who manage to live outside of the full dimension of pain in this world tend to be caught off guard when the fury of depravity hits us. Christ longs to make broken things beautiful. And when we start to cover up and we say, no, no, I'm I'm full Oh, the wine, no problem. I got my own wine. I got my own 401k. My, my relationships are perfect. As a father, I'm nailing it. If we're, if we're full, then Jesus has trouble breaking in. But when we say, we're, we're hungry, we're dry, I'm broken, that's where Jesus says, now I'm ready to transform you for more beauty. There's an ancient Japanese art form of pottery called kintsuki. It, it's amazing that it... What, what the tradition says is that this ruler, Yoshimasa, had a prized tea bowl in Japan that broke. He was so crushed, he sent it by horse to China. It returned some weeks later with these big, gaudy staples in it. He said, no, 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 no. And, and what they did was they created a lacquer dusted with powder gold to bring together pieces of his teacup. And they started to, to build this art form where this lacquer with gold would take broken pieces and enhance the breaks, enhance the fractures to bring out the essential moment in history. To say when that thing broke, it didn't disclude them. The story didn't end. Now, when it broke is when it actually became more beautiful. Now, I don't know if this ministers to anyone else, but this is so profoundly hopeful for me because it's as things start to crack in my life that I feel like Jesus can't do much with me. And we worship a God who knows broken can become beautiful, who gave his life on a cross, who bled out for us as a symbol of his glory. So the problem is when we cover up and when we begin to say, I'm ready for new wine, that's where God can start to move. And he'll often use people in our seasons of dryness. The story's full of all these people. Look at verse 5 through 10. There's all these different characters in the story. There's Jesus' mother. She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used 
by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said, now draw them out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water, they returned to wine. He didn't realize where it came from, but the servants knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone else serves their choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine later, but you have saved the best till now. There's many people God will use in a season of dryness. If you're in a season of dryness, look to the people that God has placed in your life as a marker for how he wants to move. Look at the people in the story. There's Mary. Mary is basically saying, Jesus, show us your glory. Jesus, for 30 years, I've carried this cross of shame as the rest of the village whispers about me, and I know the where you came from, Jesus. For 30 years, I've waited. If you can't empathize with this woman, you've never waited for God to restore you or someone you love. She has carried this cross, and she's like, Jesus, I know you're the one. And some theologians kind of banter back and forth. Did she know fully, you know, the angel professed in Luke 2, but did she, you know? And every mom in the room was like, she knew. She knew. These are Mary's last words in the Gospel of John. Do whatever he tells you. Well, final last words. I, I think that might go down to something I'd like to say. My final words, my final breath. Do whatever he tells you. She shows up at the cross, but she doesn't have a speaking part again. There's the serv- There's Mary. Then there's the servants who do, in fact, do what Jesus says. And I just want to teach you, church, in seasons of dryness, do what he tells you. I know our propensity is to disengage. And we typically will say, Jesus, when the breakthrough happens, then my praise can begin. Yeah, when you restore this relationship, when you heal me of this wound, when you remove this sin, when you bring that person back, when you lift that person up, we put conditions on the worship. But real faith is saying, even while I'm waiting for a breakthrough, I'm going to trust. Even while we're mourning, we will believe that, God, you're still good to us. That's what kind of faith this church needs. And the servants, even while they're like, man, we're out of wine. This guy just shows up. You know, do whatever he says. They do it. And they bring roughly 20 to 30 gallons, six you know, containers, there's almost 150 gallons of wine. It's a pretty small town. They don't need that much wine. The text says it's filled to the brim. And I think we're supposed to notice the details up to the brim. With Jesus, there's enough. There's enough. There's, there's more than enough. He wants to bless you. He wants to fill you. He wants to restore your marriage and heal your thing with your kid and bring health to that person. But we're so scared to hope because we build a theology about what God hasn't done and we rob him of his future glory. And I'm tired of having a faith like that. Do we have the audacity to believe that he wants to fill us to the brim? There's Mary and the servants and then the head waiter who unknowingly becomes part of the miracle. He's, he's kind of the master sommelier. He tasted, he's, he's, he's wowed with Jesus' provision. And this is encouraging to me because the gospel is so good that when it lives in our lives, people around will take notice. When Heather and I were newlyweds, uh, before the season of dryness, we... Uh, 
we had this gift certificate. We didn't have two dimes to rum together, but Heather was working retail. We won a gift certificate for the nicest steakhouse in Pasadena. We dressed up. For me, I wore the suit from my high school graduation. Heather wore a red dress. We, you know, we got to the steakhouse, one with the big guys out front, you know, and I'm like, I'm on the list, dog. Like, I'm in this place. We go into the fancy steakhouse and we had this bottle of wine somebody had given us. We knew it was an incredible bottle. We sit down, we order, and we're like, look at our gift certificate in the menu, and like, you know, all right, we're going to share the mashed potatoes, and we're, you know, and we open this wine, and the thing with great wine, man, the bouquet on it, like it literally just, like, it, like, a, like someone sprayed wine perfume, a Cabernet Sauvignon, and the sommelier rushed over, oh, what are you pouring, yeah, you know, and he tasted it, and it's just this illustration that... With Jesus inside of us, it's so good. It's so good. And we're trying to figure out ways to minister to the world. Jesus is like, if you just let me work inside of you from the inside out, there'll be no mistaking my power in your life. The waiter notices. And then the bridegroom. There's not a lot to say. The bridegroom actually has a pretty small role in this. But this miracle does happen in the midst of a marriage, in the midst of a wedding feast. And some of you aren't married, and so you're kind of off the hook in this story. But for those of us that are married, that have the audacity to wear a ring, our marriage is meant to be a marker to the indwelling power of Christ, which means that people are watching and our kids are watching. And what do they watch? Isn't the stuff we say, it's how we live. How do you lay your life down for the one that you're called to serve? How do you step into seasons of dryness and say, I don't want to live like this anymore? And so as we do the work of having Christian marriage, that we're actually living into the calling. And then there's Jesus, who looks at these people, and it's like he's saying, you know, the old wine of legalism is gone, and the the new real wine of grace has arrived. And he says this word, I want you to fill, I want you to gamizo in Greek, to swell, to overfill. Jesus, through us and in us, he wants to work miracles. And all we need to be in this story is the vessels. The vessels holding this dirty water, this thrown out, worthless stuff, Jesus will transform. And why does this matter? Because maybe you're tired this morning, or maybe you're bitter, or maybe you're sick, or maybe you're exhausted, maybe you're dry. Whoever you are, Jesus doesn't want to just meet basic needs. He wants to renew your faith. He wants to change your life. And when he does, everything needs to change around us. We can't profess to follow the king of the new world and live in the old. In the book of Mark, it says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And so new wine into new wineskins, new wine, new wineskins. Some of us are dry because we're trying to recapture the old wineskin of our life, the old wineskin of our marriage, the old wineskin of time with our kids, or old wineskin of a past. And Jesus says, I want to do something new in you. And so faith in dry times, only Jesus can fill you up, and he wants to make you new. I went through a season of anxiety and depression midway through um, when we first moved to Seattle. And we were attending this little brick church down by Seattle called Bethany Community Church. And it was all right. I would sit in the back, got heart for people in the back. And uh, 
and I didn't know anybody. And I was anxious, and I was feeling pretty depressed. And it was about money, it was about calling, it was about career, it was about marriage, it was about fatherhood. None of it I thought was going particularly well. And I signed up for this, uh, for this men's retreat. And I even signed up to volunteer to lead worship. So we get there, and I'm just kind of faking it. There's a whole bunch of people playing music, and, and I don't really know how to play guitar that well, but I wanted to, you know, kind of fake that I'm a leader. So I've got my songs, and there's 100 guys, and we're singing songs, and these two guys right here are like, dude, we can't hear you. Well, I'm like strumming air guitar because I don't actually know the chord on the chord sheets. So I'm doing this, and I actually play, and I'm like, what? Like, we can't hear you. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm just like faking it. I'm faking it. I'd go to church and fake it. Go through marriage, faking it. Fatherhood, man, missed so many opportunities, faking it. And there that weekend, I went down to a pond. I'm like, God, new wine, new wineskins. Like, let me be shaped by the people around me. I know I have a problem. Spirit of God, so transform me, make me new. And God started to do new work in my life. There's a problem. God will use people in order to release in us the passion. But here's the catch. The passion is a gift of the crushing. The crush is the terminology we use when making wine, when when grapes are taken and crushed and then fermented and made into a a new and more beautiful thing. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2 of John. What Jesus did here in Cain of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John would just say this a bunch of times in the book of John. Don't miss it. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign. What John is saying is it's more than wine. He wants to bring joy into your life. He wants you to know there'll be enough. And some of you are like, man, I I don't care about the sommelier experience. I don't even like wine. Jesus, I want you to make me a new heart. And that's what John's like. This is about new life. What does the spirit want to pour out of you? What declaration of emptiness will come before the abundance of Christ? Only the, the, the passion will only flow from our place of being crushed. Crushed. And in that way, Jesus knows what it was like to be crushed. Because just seven days ago, we were worshiping resurrection. Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows, despised for our transgressions. He grew up, Isaiah 53, true, out of a root like dry ground. Jesus knew dryness. Jesus knew grief. Jesus knew anger. Jesus knew hunger. And he became for us new wine. And all we need to do then is to become a container that God can fill. As 2 Timothy 2 says, become the kind of container, become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. So the vessel will be used, but it's not the key ingredient, but we've just got to be ready. God, use me like an empty vessel. Fill me with a new wineskin with your wine. And so isolation and loneliness and exhaustion, all of that, we can notice the dryness and we prepare for Jesus. And so just as we get practical, how do we actually care for our souls in season of dryness? It's pretty, pretty simple. We can just get more sleep. We can do physical activity. We can do creation care. We can literally just try to have fun or journal ideas. I mean, this is like how we literally care for our soul in seasons of dryness. And then we need to get with the God of new wine in meditation, 
in prayer, in scripture, in listening. For some of us, it's like we're feeling so dry and we go further and further from the source. So care for your soul and get with God and believe that the dry season is the beginning of new life in Christ. Deuteronomy 30 has this wonderful promise. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and all your soul and everything I command you, then the Lord of God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He wants to give you the wine that you crave. But remember, the passion is a gift of the crush. When Heather and I got engaged, we went to Napa Valley and we bought a bunch of wine that we thought, oh, you know, we'll, we'll pour this someday at wedding parties or, or for our children. And we went back at our 10-year anniversary and we drove through Napa Valley and the grapes were hanging on the vines in late summer and crush had just begun. And it's amazing because the windows down, it just smelled like fermented grapes and fruitfulness and everywhere we went was this thing of abundance and crush. But the, the, the new wine comes from grapes that are crushed and they wait and they pour it into vessels, they become new wine. So this Wednesday, we'll get to, my wife and I celebrate 20 years of looking back of where we've been and looking forward to where we're going. But nobody cares about 20 years ago. They care about how you live it today. More than marriage, what, is, what about you and the Lord today? What is going on in your heart today? Are you dry today? Are you fatigued today? Are you hungry for encounter today? I'm going to ask Allie to come to the stage, and we're going to have a time of response. And some of us are so dry and so thirsty, we need to just hold on to that promise that the best wine is around the corner. This is, there's a question at the end of your outline. Lord Jesus, please bring new wine from a dry place of blank. What would you ask for God to bring from your dry place? What is the thing inside of you that feels dry, that feels dead, that feels dusty? Where do you want Jesus to bring you new wine? Where do you want to be prepared as a new wineskin? And so as we go into response, I've got this question. And typically, like at Easter time, like, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're lonely this morning, raise your hand. And it's pretty safe in the dark to be like, yeah, I'm being crushed. Yeah, I'm a little bit dry. Yeah, I'm a little bit lonely. We're going to take a risk this morning. Will you take a risk with me? I mentioned the problem isn't the dryness. It's the belief that you can kind of hide yourself away. But when we acknowledge the places we're emptied, that's where Jesus can work. And so the risk this morning, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to ask for people that are feeling dry, discouraged, feeling a little bit poured out. I'm going to have them raise their hands. And then for those of you like, oh, man, it's not me this morning. It's all good. That's great. We're going to have you actually just lay hands on these people. So we'll become a community hungering for real encounter with the God of new wine and vulnerable with each other. Can we take that risk together? So if that's you this morning, if you're in a season of just spiritual dryness, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. It's a little bit dry. Thank you for your courage. Yep, there's a lot of us. You're not alone. Thank you. you can put your hand down. 
Are you in a season where you're feeling kind of empty this morning? It's a relationship, it's somebody you love, it's work. There's just an emptiness or a fatigue hanging around you this morning. Is there anybody in that boat this morning? Anybody? Feeling kind of empty? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone that's in a season of crushing this morning? Where God is just crushing you, you don't know what's going on, there's something that hurts a whole lot in your heart. I get that. Thank you for your vulnerability. If you raise your hand for any of those three, right now I want you to put your hand up. In just a moment, I'm going to say the prayer, but go ahead and just, if you raise your hand for any of those first three, I want you to, and, and the people around you, I want you literally to put a hand on this person's shoulder, put a hand on the back of their hand, head, grab their hand if it feels appropriate. Nobody that raised their hand will sit alone. So if your hand is up, somebody around you needs to lay a hand on. Is there anybody that's hand was up that's sitting alone right now? We can't sit alone. We can't sit alone. We can't come to church and hear fancy sermons and meanwhile feel like we're dry and nobody knows. It's not working. It's not working. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the God of new wine, the God of the harvest, the God of joy, Would you meet these sisters and brothers now? There are brave souls with hands raised, Lord, with their hearts feeling a little dry. There are people feeling crushed and poured out. Lord, would you minister to them? There's a loneliness. There's there's something going on in their story. Lord God, we're touching them now. We're praying over them, but only you can be the God of new wine. Lord God, new wine skins for new wine. We're tired as a church of pretending everything's okay. We're hungry and desperate for your word to change us. Lord God, we confess that we turn to sin in places where we should turn to obedience in you. And so God, this morning we're declaring your spirit's power into our lives. That hands raised or not, we're all alike. Lord God, we want to be new wineskins. Would your new wine flow into us? And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for the courage to be prayed for and to pray for others. You do not walk alone in life of faith. Let's stand as we close in song.